Uh, good morning. I am pastor of this church, Chad, and uh, I want to start by saying I'm sick, and it's not the greatest introduction ever, but I want to say that for a couple of reasons. First, uh, because if you are thinking, man, he's not very friendly this morning, it was for your sake, I really didn't want to get you sick, and if you're a visitor, uh, I'm probably not going to come and introduce myself. I'm going to like run, and by run, I mean wobble to my car as soon as I'm done here. Uh, I have a real sickness, which uh, means I have a temperature. I always prefer to have a temperature. I was saying to somebody earlier, because it, it, nobody can deny that you're sick then, you know, like, oh, toughen up. Like, well, I have a temperature. So, uh, and so I was thankful at, I don't know, five in the morning to see that thermometer going up and up uh, because I was already sick. It doesn't matter if you have the number go up, but at least I can prove it uh, to you people. It's 108. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a 100.7. I know you were curious. And so uh, I'm sick. I'm, that's not my excuse. That's just I wanted you to know why I'm not as friendly as normal. Um, I was trying not to sleep while we were singing to Jesus when I shut my eyes. Uh, and I'll say this. This is my big segue. Last night, in the middle of the night, I would have paid about a million dollars for some NyQuil. Uh, I couldn't take it because I get real bad NyQuil hangovers and I had to preach this morning. Uh, but if it was an option, I would have, uh, not a million really, but like if somebody would have said $50 for this NyQuil, I would have said yes because I was waking up every 10 minutes. I was, my throat hurt like crazy. My head was pounding and I would have just paid whatever for some instant relief. And the truth is, when it comes to us as people, we are willing to pay, you see what I did there? We are willing to pay uh, more for things that grant us instant results. We struggle to want to give our money to things that don't give us instant results, things that we can't really see a return in. Uh, like for me, doing my taxes used to be fun. Uh, but then I had to pay taxes. Things switched a couple years ago for Bryn and I. And now I hate doing taxes. And I never, like, as I'm giving the government money, you know, I know that, like, roads are being built and there's a military. But nothing is changing in my life as I'm writing a check to our government. And so I just, like, dread paying my taxes. Uh, the, the worst always in my life is I always hated giving money for school. It was like, here's $5,000. And they'd be like, here's a receipt. That's not a good trade. That's a really expensive receipt. And I know I was getting educated and all that, but there was no like instant gratification. It's like, I'm paying you to be able to take tests. Like, that's not very fun. I'm paying you to have homework. This doesn't seem very good. And people like to spend their money on things like, you know, NyQuil to fix themselves in the middle of the night, but things more like cars, right? Like you pay for a car and you get a car and then you can drive it and it's there and you show it to your friends and it can be fun and you get from one place to another. People like to spend money on things like computers. You buy a computer, they give you a computer, you take it home, you can play on your computer, you can work on your computer, you can do uh, a bunch of stuff on your computer. People like to buy things like houses. You pay for a house or you allow the bank to pay for a house and you pay them back over time and as soon as you do that you get the keys it's exciting you get to go into your house you get to live there you get to sleep there you can put the tv where you want it's a lot of fun uh, people like to pay for food right I mean even if it's more money than they would pay for other things by going out to eat it's like I pay for this food I get to eat this food it's enjoyable I, I like to buy food a and so we like to buy things that give us 
not even instant gratification, just instant results. Like we can see I paid for something and now I have received something. The things we struggle with are things like educational costs. I already said that. A lot of people just won't go to school because it's like, well, that's a lot of money and I'm not sure of the results and I don't see them in the short term. And so I'll just go get a job and and I I won't have to give people my money to take tests. Uh, They say you should have at least a month of uh, emergency savings so you could pay all of your bills. And that's something that people really struggle to do because it's like, yeah, but there's no emergency right now. And so who cares if I can pay the bills next month? I'll figure it out when the emergency is here. People struggle, especially at a young age, to invest in their future, their retirement. And they, they think that it's like, well, you know, I'm not retiring in the next 50 years. I got plenty of time for that. And so they struggle to put money away. And then at some point they realize they should have. And here's the interesting part that I have noticed. It's that as we mature, we begin to learn that investing in the future is a bigger deal than maybe we thought it was when we were younger or just less mature. And when it comes to the topic of greed, and when it comes to the topic of spending money in a way that pleases God, which we're talking about as our second week in this series, it's interesting because one of the big problems with giving money for the things of God is that we don't see most of the time a short, quick return on whatever we have put out there. When you drop money in the offering basket, it's you go, well, there it went. And now, well, Chad's giving a sermon. That's nice. And I see that, that came, I paid for that in some ways, but I don't get to see the other results nearly as quickly as if I would have spent that money on lunch or on a new computer or whatever it might be. And I think one of the great hang-ups when we talk about greed is that we don't want to break the habit of greed because if we begin to spend our money in a way that pleases God and not just ourselves, then, then we don't have as much in the short term. We don't get to see as many results for our own lives, as many tangible benefits to the money that we spend. And we're going to look at this parable today. And it is, it is fantastic. I, I'm telling you this over the next three weeks, counting this morning, and then two more sermons. The passages of Scripture we're going to look at uh, are, for me, just eye-opening. I think they're life-changing. They're paradigm-shifting. And, and this is one of those. I mean, this, what Jesus says in this passage of Scripture, Luke 12, 13 through 21, is a big, big deal as far as what we do or don't do with our money. Now, this parable, it comes in the midst of the story, what we're going to see in a second, comes in the midst of Jesus talking to his disciples about being faithful in persecution. In Luke's narrative, where we're looking at it, this, what happens next is an interruption of Jesus saying, hey, look, you're going to be beat up and you're going to be brought before leaders and I want you to be faithful to me in the midst of that when they dislike you for being me, a follower of me, a Jesus follower, a Christian. I want you to be faithful to me even when it gets really difficult. And what we're about to see in the gospel of Luke is an interruption of that line of thinking for Jesus. It's like Lucas showed us the importance of faithfulness in life-threatening persecution, and now he shows us the importance of faithfulness in respect to life-threatening possessions. 
And that's interesting, right? Because we sometimes think, well, it's not persecution, it's just possessions. But I think Luke and I think Jesus understood that money and the way that we spend it and the way that we think about it can be as just as detrimental to our faith in Jesus as somebody coming with a whip and saying, if you don't say you don't love Jesus, if you don't turn from Jesus, if you don't live like us and not like Jesus, then I'm going to whip you. And this is what we see, Luke 12, 13, and 14. Jesus is talking about faithfulness and persecution. And then we read, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between me and, excuse me, between you? Talking about the brothers. And it's interesting because Jesus here, is in an enormous crowd. Uh, the book of Luke tells us that like the, the crowd is so big that people are like pressing in on Jesus and he's having trouble moving around. I mean, this is like a huge, huge crowd and somehow, and I don't know how this happens, but some guy gets up to him and says, hey, I want you to arbitrate between me and my brother because there's an inheritance out there. And it seems by his language that, that he's not actually looking for an arbitrator. He's looking for somebody that will, that will come alongside and plead his case and say, look, Get me some money. That's what this guy's saying. Jesus, help me get money in the inheritance. Now, it's really fascinating because at the time, this would have been normal, just so you know. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's some inheritance laws, and the Jewish people knew certain circumstances. This is who got the inheritance, and this is who didn't get the inheritance, but but it didn't cover everything. And so this type of question, like who gets what, would have been something that they would have dealt with a lot. And this guy's like, Jesus is smart, and here he is, and I'll come to him, and I'll try to get some of this money, get a piece of this pie. I'll, I'll be richer for it and Jesus is like hey I'm not here for this I mean Jesus understands that an inheritance is not important compared to the kingdom of God and Jesus had come to usher in the kingdom of God and to spread the kingdom of God the rule of God on earth the reign of God on earth and so Jesus is like hey I'm not here to help you determine who gets what Money. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came out of heaven into earth in order that he might die on a cross where all of the sins of the world were laid on him so that you and I, if we would choose to accept that gift, might someday live an eternal life in heaven. Jesus said, look, I didn't come here to like judge your little minor disputes. I came here for something greater. I came here so that you might have salvation. But Jesus, and I like this about Jesus, he always does this. You just go read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the Bible. They have headings, and, and Jesus always like sees through the immediate kind of question, and he jumps to these greater issues, and he, 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 just, he doesn't get caught up in people's emotion, like, give me that inheritance, it's not fair, you know? He's like, let me teach you more. And I think that Jesus understood that when it comes to the topic of inheritance, greed like rises right to the surface. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to answer your question, but there's a bigger issue here, a bigger issue that I want to help you move from, move out of. I want to help you move towards the right type of thinking. And this is what Jesus says. Listen, this is in Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist 
and an abundance of possessions. Be on your guard is, is in the Greek what they call the present imperative, and that means it's emphatic, and it's also a call to constancy. So like consistently, constantly be on your guard against this thing called greed, and he repeats it. Notice, watch out, and be on your guard, and repetition in the Bible usually suggests that something is serious, that it's a big deal. And, and so Jesus is saying like greed is a big deal, so really be looking for it and watching out for it and be on your guard against it. And if you're like me, maybe before preaching this sermon series, you might go like this, why? I mean, it's just greed. It's not murder. It's not adultery. It's not something that seems so bad. It's just this guy wants a little bit of money. Last week's sermon that you can hear at, uh, our webs- on our website, creeksidebiblechurch.org forward slash broken greedy, uh, I talked about some of the things in the Old Testament that, that kind of showed why greed was so bad, some of the stuff that it led to, like people you know, beating people up and, and hurting their brothers and defrauding each other and all of this stuff, but, but I don't want to cover that again. Instead, I want to look at what Jesus has already said in a couple of verses prior to this in Luke about money and, and how detrimental thinking about money wrong can be. Uh, Luke eight fourteen and 15, he's telling this parable and he says, the seed that fell among the thorns, and the seed is the gospel coming into people's lives, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Jesus is telling this story about people's reception of the gospel, like becoming a Christian. In the middle of it, he says there's a certain group of people who will not accept the gospel because they'll get excited about it and they'll think it sounds really good. Yeah, Jesus died for me, I can go to heaven. But then they'll get caught up in the riches and the pleasures of life. Jesus says that that when we want riches more than we want God, it actually can prevent us from becoming a Christian and getting the eternal life that Jesus has offered in heaven. Luke 11, 39. Then the Lord said to him, now then you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus has said about this group of people, the Pharisees, his biggest enemies while he walked around on the earth, that they were full of greed, that their religious practices were in part done just so that they could have money. And when you look at the Pharisees and how Jesus talked about them and how he interacted with them, these people did not have in mind the things of God. They were selfish and they wanted to up their status in society and they wanted to have more and more for themselves. Even the religious leaders, according to Luke 11, had been destroyed in some ways by this thing called greed. And so when Jesus in Luke 12 says, be on your guard, pay attention for greed in your life, it's a big deal. We defined greed last week, and it's worth repeating here. The word that is used in the New Testament for greed, and this is really interesting, because you think of greed as like rich people who are not nice to others, but the word actually is a Greek word that, that basically means, its most basic meaning is having more. The will to have more. That's not quite like we think of it, right? Like we can point to a bunch of greedy people out there and think you're just greedy and you're stealing stuff and you have more than you need and you don't help anybody out. But the word that's used in its most basic meaning 
of the Greek is just a word that means desiring more. Now here's how we defined it last week, and I think it goes right with it, and you'll see this in what we're about to look at, and you'll see it again in, in a couple of weeks. But greed equals wanting possessions more than you want God. Greed is your stuff over your relationship with God. Greed is placing your money over and above your relationship with the creator of the universe. And so when we think of greed, oftentimes, like I just said, we think of these people out there that have tons of stuff and are super rich and are mean to people, but that's not what it is. Greed is, in any way, at any point, in any thinking, saying I care more about my money and the stuff that that money can buy me than I do about pleasing God. Greed comes in many forms, and Jesus says here, be on guard against it in its many forms, and I just thought of a few forms it comes back from. One, holding back from God what he asks for. I mean, if God has called you to give more money to the church or give more money to some other Christian organization and you are keeping that money for yourself, even if you're not spending it, if you're just putting it in a savings account, then that's a form of greed because you care more about your money than you do about what God has asked for. Being disobedient to God to gain more. I mean, like if you steal or you're mean to people or you don't care about others in order to have more money, it's a form of greed. Never being satisfied or content with what God has given you. That's a form of greed, and we'll see that in passages that follow. Or it's worry about the stuff that we have. We just talked about worry a few weeks ago and how God will provide for us, but so many of us can see our greed in the fact that we worry about our possessions and the amount of money we have all the time. Never having enough. Or when you spend your money on the wrong stuff, maybe bad stuff, maybe just stuff God doesn't want you to spend it on, it's a form of greed. And Jesus says, be on guard against every form of greed, every type of greed. He continues in Luke 12, 16, it continues. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now we're going to see in parables, now you can't take every detail in a parable and get crazy and be like, well, this, you know, every metaphor, if you take it too far, is going to fall apart at some point. But there's some things that you need to pay attention to, like repetition. And in this one, it seems that this rich man is already rich before we find him having an abundant harvest. That's key to what we're going to see in a second. Uh, we see it in the way uh, that Jesus offers details in this story. We see it in the way that he builds new barns. We'll see this in a second. Instead of, uh, without using any of his new harvest. And we'll see it in that he has other goods besides just agricultural goods. You also need to know that this parable is spoken to an agricultural community. And, and that means it was a community that would have been really connected you still see that in the farming world today. There's much greater connection in the farming world than almost any other industry. And one person's decisions can affect in great ways the livelihood of another person's decisions. We're, we're going to see this parable and you need to notice this. His decision with what to do with his surplus literally could hurt the economy and the families of the people around him. 
I mean, he has this giant surplus, and in the first century, it wasn't like everybody had a surplus and there was tons of stuff everywhere. What he decides to do with this surplus is going to have a real effect on people around him and the economy as a whole. And so you ask, what is he going to do? What is he going to do with this extra financial gain? What is he going to do with all of this grain that came in because he had a good crop? And this is what we read in 12, 17 through 19. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's the first century way of saying, and this is my words, of saying I'll increase my investment portfolio. And there I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now there's a couple of things that are just, just stand out like crazy. Notice in these three little verses that this farmer says the word I five different times. He says, I, five different times. Also notice that he says, my barns, my goods, my grain, and my self. He views everything that he has as his own, to be spent on his own pleasure and his own happiness. Notice his statement, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, shows that he has a single-mindedness to self in his financial state, his financial gains. And I thought it was interesting because when we think about money and the reason that we don't want to spend money God's way is because of these same four things. I mean, we want life to be easy. We want comfort. We want our lives to be simple. We don't want to have to worry about things. We want to eat well and drink well, and we want to have fun. And I would say that those four things are the very things that make money a stressful topic. Like, hey, if this pastor up there talks to me about money and what I'm supposed to do with money, then maybe I won't be able to have as much fun. Maybe I won't be as comfortable in my life. Maybe I won't be able to enjoy the food and drink that this world is offers, that this world offers nearly as much. And so the point here is this: God is not mentioned one time. This guy never stops to ask the question, what does God want me to do with this surplus? He says, I, 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 my, 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 my. What do I want to do? What should I do so that my stuff can support me better and make my life more enjoyable? And so he makes his decision without ever thinking about what God would have him do with his money with his resources, with the surplus that he had gained. The NIV Life Application Commentary said, the essence of greed is keeping what resources God brings your way for yourself. And Andy Stanley, I quoted this last week, said that greed is the, assu- the assumption that it is all for my consumption. I said last week that a driving force behind greed is that we think our possessions are ours and for us alone. And, and here we begin to see it again, that, that it's one of the ways that we can remove greed from our lives is to stop thinking about what we have in terms of it being ours for our pleasure. Whatever we have is on loan from God. Whatever we have has been given to us from God so that we can use it to expand the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. Luke 12, 20, it continues, but God said to him, you fool, 
This very, li- very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Fool is an Old Testament term to describe someone that either acts without God or acts without wisdom in a destructive way. Uh, the word uh, has been defined as describing someone who rebels against God or whose practices deny God. Think about it now. Think about it. All this guy has done. All he's done is chosen to save money without thinking about what God has wanted for his money. Right? I mean, this guy hasn't stolen. He hasn't committed fraud. He hasn't beat anybody up to gain an extra money. He's not treating his laborers poorly. All he has done, that that Jesus constitute calling him a fool, somebody who is disobedient to God, somebody who is making stupid decisions in light of what God has called us to do. All he has done is save money while not thinking about what God would have him do with that money. That's pretty humbling because that's kind of the American dream. That's kind of what we teach people. Save money, save money, save money. And I'm not saying that saving money is bad. What I am saying is that saving money without asking what God wants you to do with that money is bad. It's foolish, according to Jesus. That's humbling, right? Because as Americans, like this is what we're just like, look, here, save money, save money, save money. Try to have enough money. Spend money is what we do, but we say save money. I Save money, I'll spend it. Save money, but I'll spend it. And Jesus is saying, if you're not bringing God into that equation, and you're just saving because it seems like something that's going to eventually make it so that you can be comfortable and you can be happy and you can enjoy the food and drink that this world offers, then you are foolish. You are rejecting God in the way that you are treating your finances. You're being disobedient. And then we get this very classic kind of teaching It's the you can't take it with you teaching. Jesus says this very night, it's emphatic, meaning the man doesn't have time to change his ways. Isn't that like a big excuse we have for everything we do in life? Like, I'm young. Someday I'll make it, I'll change how I think about money or, you know, we apply this to all sins. I'll make the change before God comes back. I'll make the change before I get in too much trouble. And Jesus is like, hey, this very night, this man could die And then he asks this question like, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? If it's just in store barns, who will get it? And the answer is obvious. The point is obvious. Not you. You're not going to get it. One of the best ways that we can break this thing called greed in our lives is to remember the temporary nature of our lives. You can't take it with you. In the words of George Strait, the king of country, in a song called You'll Be There, he said, you don't, I didn't even have to look this up, this just popped into my head, that's how much I used to like country music, you don't bring nothing, nothing, that's so countryish right there, you don't bring nothing with you here, talking about heaven, and you can't take nothing back, I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack, yeah, now you like country music a little better, don't you? In Luke 12, 21, Jesus finishes and he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but, but is not rich 
toward God. I mean, this might be like the most pertinent message you can think of for the American church culture today, but it's definitely far more pertinent than it was for these these peasant first century people who are like, store up. Like, I just, I, I mean, I don't really get what that means. I just try to stay alive every day and have enough food. But in our current culture, it's like Jesus wrote this for us. I mean, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. You won't be able to take any of it with you. The life application commentary says, the conclusion condemns greed is the attitude that piles up stuff simply for one's own use. The word rich is weird because we don't ever say like rich towards something. It's, it's weird like language, but I, I guess as I studied this, that the, the word, that there's a verb of rich in the Greek language. And so we don't really have that, but it's, it's a verb that, that is like to be rich or to have abundance of outward possessions. It is used of like, I have made uh, I've been made rich, have become rich, have gotten riches. And I think it's close. I think in this understanding of what Jesus says that the word is close to like the English word lavish. And so Jesus could have said like, this is how it will be. You won't be able to take anything with you for those who store up stuff for themselves without asking God what he wants, without being lavish towards God to expend or give in great amounts or without limit, who, who, who isn't trying to make God look good, who isn't pouring out their financial resources on the God of the universe. And the point is super clear, right? Don't make your financial decisions about yourself. Make them about God. Doesn't mean we never save. Maybe God wants you to save. But it means that we consider God in our financial decisions. But we're going we're gonna to get to this in a second. And, and I think you're going to see why this is such a big deal. Because I started with saying like, you know, when we can't see returns, then it's really difficult for us to want to spend money. And now Jesus is saying, like, don't, I can see my savings account go up, you know. But now you're telling me not to focus on that, but to focus on God. And I don't even know what it means to really, uh, like, spend money on God because it doesn't matter when I drop money in the offering plate or donate or whatever, buy somebody lunch. Uh, it's like, I don't see anything come back. And we'll get to that in a second. But here's some questions that I just think you need to ask. Do we think of God when we make decisions on how we will spend or not spend our money? Is that even in your thinking? Because if it's not, then your life might be demanded from you at any point and you will not be able to say, God, look at how much I lavished upon you. Look at how rich I was towards you. Do we view what we have as ours or God's on loan to us? big deal in that parable. I mean, are we like, I, 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 my, my, my? Is that our thinking? Like, look what I have gotten for myself and look what I have done to work for this money and how I have prospered and been successful and now I will spend it on my, my, my? Or do we say, God, you've given me this. How do you want me to spend it? And here's the other question. Do we consider an eternity spent with God when we buy stuff? I mean, when we spend money, when we are adding up our possessions and increasing our possessions, do we consider that someday we will look at God face to face? Now, here's the thing. 
We should put our trust in God and not in our gold, and that's hard to do. But I want you to like look at what comes next in this passage. I want to just go past this passage because Jesus says a couple of things that are really important, and the theme continues uh, for a long time in Luke 12. First of all, it's like Jesus knows that what he's just said is going to induce worry in people. Like, really Jesus you're telling me like I should maybe not save sometimes because I should spend money on you and then okay but I'm gonna turn 60 someday and I I mean 65 70 now to retire but and then what what am I gonna do And, and so Jesus launches into a teaching that will be familiar to those of you who have been around because we just looked at these words from the book of Matthew it says then Jesus said to his disciples Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. He repeats that statement. He says, life is about bringing glory to God. It's not just about staying alive. It's not about having nice stuff. It's about expanding the kingdom, the rule and reign of God on earth. And so you need not worry, because God will take care of you. And then he says later in the chapter, and this is so key, Luke 12, 32 through 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Check this out. This is, ooh, this is so counter everything we feel as human beings. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Did you notice that, what he said there? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. I mean, some of us, if we had a surplus, would say, sure, I'll give some of that money to the poor. But Jesus said, you should be so focused on me. And you should have me so in mind when it comes to your financial habits that sometimes you ought to just sell your stuff so that you can provide for somebody else. It is as if Luke is saying to his readers, Theophilus is the main person who Luke was writing to, friend, order your life in accordance with the one thing that is eternal, God. Let not greed for that which is temporary keep you from eternal treasure. Jesus says, Be rich towards God so that you can have a treasure in heaven where you will actually be able to keep it for eternity. You notice that? The rich man who stores away stuff for himself doesn't keep it. He doesn't get to take it to heaven with him. But Jesus says when you sell your possessions and you give to the poor, you do something for God with your finances, then it increases your treasure in heaven. Let me just explain it this way, I, uh, an illustration. And first, um, I said that this sermon series was not a sermon series where we were going to say, if you just give enough money to our church, then you'll get rich, because that's not a biblical concept at all. But I actually heard, uh, I saw this illustration, I'm taking part of this illustration, uh, presented in a way that I don't think is right or good. And, and basically, uh, this, is, this is what uh, one pastor said. He said, Here, here's your life and, and your possessions. And you probably never feel like it's as full as that. But, uh, but here, this represents your money, the stuff that you have. And, and you have a couple of choices with what you do with your stuff. I mean, we all have our bills, right? I mean, like you got your car payment. So you pour it out into your, into your car payment. And you have your house payment. 
And for some, your kids went to school, they're going to school, and you got to pay that. And you got your credit card debt, and you got your food that you need to buy every month, and you got your stuff that you like to do, and then you got your hobbies. And at the end of the month, every month, you feel like there's nothing left. This pastor said, guy number two, same situation. But he chooses to first put the money into God. He gives 10% of the money is what the man is talking about, tithing. And then he says from the book of Malachi, test me in this and see if I will not pour out abundance on you. And so this is the illustration he gives. He says, if you will, if you will go to God first like this guy, you will pay your car payments and your house payments and your kids' school payments and, and you'll still have to, to pay for food and you have your hobbies still and you'll get to the end of the month, you might feel like this, but, but God will pour out an abundance onto you. And it's not true. That's a great illustration if a church wants to get more money to come in. But sometimes, if you give to God first, all of it will be gone. You'll get to the end of the month and you'll look like this. Seen it in the history of Christianity. I mean, Jesus says that the person who gave the most when he's looking down at the temple and people donating money to the temple is a woman who gives her only coin, the only coin she had to live on. Jesus doesn't say, and then it started raining money. But here's the better illustration. This is what our passage of scripture is teaching us. We all have our money. And we can make a decision about what to do with our money. I mean, we have our house payment and our car payment and all of this. We got our food payment. But when we choose to pour into God, even when we're left empty, that somewhere in heaven, God is pouring that money into our own personal heavenly treasure. And the point of this parable, the point of what Jesus is saying is when you die, your cup's gonna be empty. And it doesn't matter how much you put into your house or how much you put into your car or how much you put even into your education or how much you put into your hobby, you're not going to be able to take any of it with you to heaven. But when you pour into God, he is filling up a treasure in heaven. And if you are a Christian who has given your life to Jesus, then when you flip over from death to life, when you move from the temporal to the eternal, when you enter into heaven, then you will have a treasure waiting for you. You see, the point that Jesus makes is not give God your money. Do things with your money for God and you will be filled up. The point Jesus is making is that if you will give money for God, if you will spend your money for God, then your treasure in heaven will be increased. And your treasure in heaven is the only treasure that you can have forever. You see that? Jesus is saying anything you spend your money on here on earth is not going to be there forever unless that money is spent for God in the way that God wants you to spend it. 
And this is a huge deal because every day we make decisions on how we're going to spend our money. And most of us are just like, I'm going to spend it here. I'm going to do whatever I can to make myself merry and to to make myself comfortable and to have good food and good drink. And and the truth is, a lot of us don't have full treasures in heaven. And and this very day, your life could be demanded from you. And you'll get to heaven and you'll look like this thinking, yeah, but I was so full on earth, man. Jesus is saying, if you want an actual return, on the way that you spend your money, don't spend it on things that give you short-term happiness. Spend it for God so that it will give you eternal happiness. This is a big deal. And I'll tell you this, a lot of people are prevented from coming to Christianity, and maybe that's you, because you're just so focused on this stuff and making this stuff good and happy, and someday it's going to be empty, and you won't even get to sniff eternal treasure because you haven't given your life to Jesus because you've been so consumed with this thing that will ultimately be empty. And if that's you, then give your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you can have me because because none of this is gonna matter and then every person dies. It always happens. But for those of us who are Christians, it's pathetic that we make every financial decision Based on this, like I want to be happier and fuller and merrier and have more stuff and enjoy my life more and eat better food and have a nicer house and have a nicer car. And at some point, we need to pay attention to the words that Jesus has offered us here and say, okay, time. God, I'm going to put my money here because I know when I put it here that you put it here. You see, I chose to pay, with the help of a lot of other people, those college tuitions every year. I did that, not for that receipt, that thing that just felt so unimportant, but because I believed that the education was worth making a deposit in. And it was far better in the long run, truthfully, than the other ways that I could have spent that money. Things, I mean, if I... You know, $5,000 could add a new car. It would be broken down by now. I could have bought a really nice shirt. I mean, it would be worn down. You know, I mean, it's just. But we treat our possessions that way. Like, well, I need to spend it now so I can enjoy it and actually see a return on this. And, And God's saying, like, give me your money. Spend it for me so that you can make a deposit in heaven. You have bills. I'm not saying don't pay those bills. You have to eat. You got to feed your children. Those things are not inherently bad, but seek God first in those. And I would offer this, leave room. Leave room with your money. Work to have room for those of us who have not done that. Work to have room with your money so that you can pour it into God and he can pour it into your eternity. This is the only thing that will last. And so don't put your stuff above God. Put God above your stuff. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that 
For those of us who are Christians, we do have eternity to look forward to. God, uh, it's hard, Lord, because we see these short-term benefits to spending our money in ways that bring us happiness and comfort and good food and drink. But God, I pray that that for those of us who are Christians in this room, God, that that you um, would help us always to have enough faith to put money away for eternity, to invest in our eternal state, God, and not just in our temporal state, not just in these bodies that will eventually decay. Um, God, I pray for all the people here, and, and I pray, God, that that you would, Lord, um, help them, if they're not Christians, to give their lives to you because, Lord, they, they can't even deposit in their eternal bank account apart from a relationship with you. And so I pray that, God, every person here would know you as their Savior and have eternal treasure to look forward to, Father. Um, God, I, I pray that we would be a church full of people who are making their financial decisions based on what you would want from them and based on eternity, Lord, based on your kingdom being moved forward and not just on what makes them feel good, what brings them rest. Lord, I pray that we would be a church as an organization that doesn't just spend money to make ourselves more comfortable, God, but we really, the money that comes into our church would actually be spent so that your kingdom could be moved forward, so that people will give their lives to you and become Christians and others will grow in their relationship with you and so that this community and this world could be changed, God. God, we don't want to be greedy. We want to think about you and our money. And God, I hope if I communicated this well, Lord, that people want to think about you in, in their money-spending habits because, they're, because they want a reward. It's not just like we give and we don't give. It's like we give God and we get in heaven. And and I pray that 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 truth would just be so, just become ingrained in our thinking. God, I, I never in your word see you be critical of people who want heavenly blessings. In fact, you seem to encourage it. When disciples, God, ask you, what they will get because they have left everything. You tell them that they will get tenfold. God, I trust that as we spend our money for you, that you will give us tenfold in our jar in heaven. I pray these things in your name. Amen.